0: Today's reading is on page 736. It is Matthew chapter 5, verse 4. God blesses those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Amen. It's alright, so it's a short reading. Uh, that is the Beatitudes. So talking to Gene this morning, I uh, said, so You think, I uh, said, so Jesus could have expanded it a little bit, but no. Uh, this is the way it is. Let's pray. Gracious Lord, as we come uh, to this next beatitude, the second of the beatitudes, we ask that you would indeed speak to our hearts. Lord, we are here in this space, not wanting to hear from me or any human communicator, but your word through the Holy Spirit. We pray that you would quicken it to our hearts. And so Lord, as I often pray, I pray that I would decrease, you would increase, and that the meaning and value and power of this beatitude would come to us afresh today, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Have you ever done something so awful, doesn't have to be a sin, but something so what could have been a terrible mistake at work, bad day at the office. Have you done something so awful that did such damage, that caused you such consequences, that you were filled so much with grief you never did it again? Perhaps it was a childhood experience or something like that, or a bad day at the office. Your hand was burnt so badly you never wanted to touch that particular element again. The emotional pain you felt was so bad, or the regret or the shame, uh, that it means that you never went back to doing those particular, that particular act. This morning we're looking at, blessed are those who mourn. And there's three things, for they shall be comforted. And there's three things I want to look at this morning. Mourning over our sin. Are our hearts too hardened to sin to generally grieve its impact on our life? The second is tear our hearts, not our clothes. I'll get into that. It's a passage from Joel. And three, in God's upside down kingdom, a broken heart leads to God's comfort or gutsy guilt. So we're carrying on with our summer series on the Sermon on the Mount, which I've called the Jesus Manifesto. It's Jesus's kingdom values for those who are his followers. It's his preeminent values. If you love Jesus and you want to follow him, here is, in a nutshell, in 10 minutes reading time, his key values to those who would want to follow him. And his first beatitude that he gives is, blessed are those who are poor in spirit, for the kingdom of heaven is theirs. Jesus starts by saying that his kingdom is an upside down kingdom, where everything seems back to front. It's highly offensive both 2,000 years ago, and I think to many modern hearers. He's saying, blessed, rich are you if you acknowledge your spiritual poverty. What? How does that work? The poor in spirit acknowledge their spiritual need of God. They know that within themselves they're not spiritually good enough. They're a failure within themselves, and so need God. And so to them, through the grace of God, is the kingdom of heaven. Unlike those who think they're morally or spiritually rich in their own strength, the poor in spirit confess their sin and receive forgiveness. There's actually a beautiful, inclusive equality about the Christian faith. And many of the, many of the things in the world, it's a very metriocracy. You either succeed or you fail. There's a little ranking system, and that is life. But with the Christian faith, there is actually a highly inclusive equality to the faith. But there is a key or a catch. You could call the key or catch humility or repentance. It's acknowledging our spiritual need of God. Those that think they're spiritually or morally awesome, uh, well, there's no need to apply. You're spiritually rich. Uh, You already think the kingdom of heaven is yours uh, because you've worked for it. But for the spiritually poor who cry out to God, Jesus says God blesses them for the kingdom of heaven is theirs. And then he continues in his upside down kingdom by now saying, in effect, happy are the unhappy. Happy are the unhappy. Right? You get to see this. It's like you can, you can imagine being a listener going, what is Jesus getting at here? Why are the unhappy happy? Why are those mourn going to be comforted? Well, no doubt God will give comfort to those who seek him while they're grieving the loss of loved ones or some other devastating loss in their life. And at times... In times of loss or grief, and of course uh, my own situation, this is near and dear, I have used this verse and it's appropriate to do so. However, in its context, this is not about those grieving losses of relationship or people dying. Remember the context, the first beatitude is for those who are poor in spirit. And now for those who are poor in spirit, who recognize their need and acknowledge that within themselves they're morally, spiritually bankrupt, there is a mourning as they look within themselves and notice the vileness or sin of their own lives. And yes, I realize how offensive this is going onto to YouTube with the whole self-esteem gig that's out there. But this is what Jesus is getting at. It's those who have a profound grief over their sin. God blesses those who mourn for they will be comforted. So a question: Are our hearts—and I'm aiming this mostly at myself, but perhaps there may be one or two in the in the congregation supplies to as well—are our hearts too hardened or apathetic to sin, to grieve it, to grieve sin? Today we see in many churches an emphasis on happiness, on people having a good time. A lot of the larger churches are like rock concerts. Nothing wrong with that. I'm not judging bigger churches here, where people are leave feeling uplifted. The worship has plenty of praise, but little lament the aim of church is to have people feeling good about themselves. They might come back next week if they feel good about themselves. It's a good thing to do. They might put more money in the offering plate. I get it. The messages are like therapy sessions where God's thrown in, where the goal is to have those feeling, they're having their self-esteem lifted and feeling better about themselves. Yet the Psalms, the book of Psalms, the first Hymn book, you could say, the whole, the full spectrum of human emotions is there. So yes, it does have praise and exaltation, But doesn't it also have songs of confession and lament? So yes, praise and worship being lifted up is part of the Christian faith, but so is mourning and lament. And today we're doing mourning because that's the passage, right? And so in the Bible, part of lament, part of this lament is lamenting the brokenness of the world, Sometimes it's the brokenness of what others have done to us. And sometimes if you read like David when he was caught, when he wrote that psalm after he was caught in adultery, that psalm was lamenting the brokenness that was within him. He killed, murdered someone. He'd committed adultery. He was the so-called man after God's own heart, the Bible said. And after all that had happened, he wrote that psalm, that lament, that cry was coming as he acknowledged his own brokenness within his own heart. So also put another way, in good Bible-believing churches, which I hope by God's grace we one, sin is mentioned, repentance is offered, that's good. But how often is there mourning, at least inwardly, over our spiritual state? When was the last time you wept over your own sin? Have you ever wept over your actions and the damage it's done, and the damage it's caused? Jesus has wept over sin, not his own, because he was sinless. But when he came to Jerusalem, he got on his knees and wept his heart out over the hardened hearts of Jerusalem. And I have pondered, I wonder if Jesus has wept over the church over the last 2,000 years. I wonder if Jesus has wept over St. Andrew's or perhaps my hardened heart. Often, when we get caught up in a cycle of sin, it can produce apathy, hardness, a dis- deep distance from God. Not only are we uh, hardened from sin and hardened, you know, we have a hardened heart and we just come along and go through the motions. We don't even know we're far from God because our heart is so hardened. It's, it's, it's a tough space to be. And so hearing this message will make you feel slightly uncomfortable, but that's about it. You'll be, I hope this, Al, thankfully, Alistair's sermons are really short and I'll be out the door soon, right? That's sort of the gig. But when your heart is moved, there's, there's a tenderness. And, and you, your heart is moved. And often we get moved. I know that when I've hurt my wife or my kids because I love them, there's a tenderness. And I go, I am so sorry. And there's a, there's a mourning and grief. And this is what Jesus is getting at. And so often I've noticed at times there's a joyless in worship, not necessarily here, but in other churches. There's a going through the motions. Coming to church is an option. God feels distant. Is this because hearts are cauterized and said to the reality of our spiritual state? So one thing is that people who do experience a closeness with God, and when you look at some of these autobiographies, uh, these are these are great, amazing missionaries or people like William Wilberforce. I've read William Wilberforce's diaries and parts of it. And he's done all these amazing things, but in his personal diaries, he's not writing this to me. The poor guy has died and his diaries became published. He may not have wanted them to be published after he died, but they were published. And you get to see... His internal state as he just acknowledges his own brokenness, his anger towards those other MPs in Parliament and so forth. There's a real heart stuff going on. He's doing heart soul work with the Lord. The pathway to God's joy is through the Valley of Tears. Yes, this is offensive to modern ears because we live in a culture that obsesses now with how special and good we all are. And of course, you're made in God's image. You're not rubbish. You're wonderfully God-created. But for the Christian who believes the Bible is the word of God, we also know, or certainly I know of myself, that I am desperately broken in need of a saviour. And perhaps I haven't yet mourned over my own brokenness enough because there's a comfort to be given for those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. So the question, are our hearts too hardened or apathetic to sin to grieve them? And then second... Tear our hearts, not our clothes. In Joel chapter 2, it says this. This is why the Lord says, turn to me now while there's time. Give me your hearts. Come with fasting, weeping, and mourning. Don't tear your clothing uh, in your grief, but tear your hearts instead. or rend your hearts, I think the NIV puts it. Return to the Lord your God. He is merciful and compassionate, slow to get angry, and filled with unfailing love. He is eager to relent and not punish. Who knows, perhaps he'll give you a reprieve and send you your blessing instead of this curse. Perhaps you'll be able to offer grain and wine to the Lord your God as before. So we live today in a virtue signaling culture. Where, if you have Facebook or social media, you're expected to support the latest thing and you put it around your, your profile page, whatever that happens to be. And if you fail to meet society's standards, if you don't celebrate the right thing, if you're not celebrating what the media is celebrating, if you're a, particularly if you're a celebrity, You're expected to give apologies and give all this outward signs of remorse. I've seen this celebrity, he gave all the outward signs, he said it's not enough, you have to go through re-education training on on diversity or whatever it happens to be. It's this outward performance, right? You see that with, with, with the celebrities and that's in the secular world. And in religious societies, repentance is or can be about a big outward act. In the Jewish society, they would rend their clothes, wear sackcloth and ashes, the Pharisees and the Sadducees would do. It. Nothing wrong with doing that. But the issue is, it was often an outward act with no heart change. Now, there's nothing wrong with, I have to say, when I had my kids young, I'll get them to say sorry. This is only me, my kids, when they're coming up when they just had a fight. Sorry. Did anyone have kids like that? And so, now I got them to do that because it was an out, because you hope that maybe a miracle might happen as they grow older. And the the outward word of sorry, the heart might follow. Might take 20 years, but the heart might follow. So there's nothing wrong with some of those outward things. But the thing the Lord is getting at is a heart change. God's word is clear. God wants to show mercy. He wants to show us comfort. He's a God who's very slow to anger and quick to forgive. But this blessing, this mercy, is forgiven for those who don't rend their clothes, who are not doing outward performances, but rend their hearts instead. And so that's why when I'm doing this message today, I pr- I'm praying against, I'm probably a little less amped in what I'm saying today, because I don't want, I don't want to emotionally manipulate anyone here this morning. Does that make sense? I just want to just, it's, if this is a bit more dull this morning, that's, I'm okay with that. I'm going to be just very calm. I'm not after changing anyone's heart because of the tone of my voice or words I use. If a, a single heart changes this morning, it'll be through the power of God and, as, and the work of the Spirit, not one Alistair McNaughton. Only the Lord can change a heart. Rent your hearts, not your clothes. There's nothing, at the end of the service, we've got communion. But we're not coming up the front and doing anything of performance of of outward forgiveness, because what we're after is internal heart work. We rend our heart before the Lord. And how so when Jesus says, "Blessed are those who mourn," he wasn't try, so when Jesus said, "Blessed are those who mourn." He wasn't trying to create people who sit there going outward grief. Right? What he was doing is that when you go through mourning and grief, what happens? You have a broken heart. You feel absolutely devastated. I know what it was like when I heard that Catherine only had six months. It's utter heartbreak. Your heart is just, I'm looking at Catherine, and I, I'm, she's in so much pain. I'm utter, I've got I've crushed spirit. And, it, and out of that comes mourning. and it's, it's a mourning that comes from a crushed heart. What the Lord is after is that crushed heart over our sin. And out of that crushed heart comes mourning. And then thirdly, in God's upside down kingdom, a broken heart leads to God's comfort. Where there is genuine, godly, heartfelt mourning over sin, there is divinely given comfort. God blesses those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Or in Psalm 34 18, the Lord is close to the brokenhearted. He rescues those whose spirits are crushed. I I have friend, he'd given his life to Christ as a teenager. Uh, and he was involved in open-ear campaigners. He was on the beaches evangelizing. And the Lord used him powerfully. He entered his 20s. He got married. His marriage got into difficulties. He got divorced. And in the process of the separation and divorce, he wandered away from the Lord. His 20s, 30s, 40s, and 50s happened. Two more broken marriages, many relationships in and out. He was seeking uh, uh, enlightenment in the mountains of the Himalayas and Buddhist temples, all sorts of things, a million miles from Christ. And then in his late 50s, early 60s, he had, he had a prodigal moment. He came back to the Lord, and he repented, and all these amazing things happened. But the Lord, but Satan was still, we had this thing of a mighty fortress that talks about devils and temptations. Well, after this repentance, he got involved in a relationship where he went too far physically. And uh, he was devastated. And he said, Alistair, I was on the ferry coming back and I just rolled into Picton. And there was this ramp and I with all my heart, I was at the lowest point in my life. I thought I failed again. A lifetime of failures. And this is one more failure to submit my entire life where I've just failed the Lord in everything. He said, I just wanted to drive off that into the water and end it all. And then he heard the word of the Lord. The Lord is close to the brokenhearted. He rescues those whose spirits are crushed. And he walked off that and he's never gone back to those previous pathways again. The Lord gives a comfort to those who know that they're spiritually poor and that for those who mourn that spiritual poverty, he comforts them. Do you know this comfort this morning? Have you encountered it? It's only for those who know the spiritually poor. So what is this comfort? How does it work? Well, one little part of it is this, and it's from Micah 7. And do not gloat over me, my enemies. All right, whatever those enemies are, let's say, you're, what a useless Christian you are, or whatever the circumstances. For though I fall, I will rise again. Though I sit in darkness, the Lord will be my light. I'll be patient as the Lord punishes me, for I've sinned against him. But after that, he will take up my case and give me justice for all I've suffered from my enemies. The Lord will bring me into the light and I will see his righteousness. In this passage, Micah is saying, yes, God's angry. Yes, there are consequences for our our decisions we do or sin. He's sitting in darkness. It's awful. Life is tough. There's a season of living through the consequences of our actions. And for some actions, it can be a lifetime. But... Look at the second half of verse nine. But after that, he will take up my case and give me justice for all I have suffered. The Lord will bring me into light and I will see his righteousness. It's a sense of Jesus or God coming into that dungeon. We're mourning and we're grieving and we're spiritually poor. And as he walks into that dungeon, he doesn't come to condemn. He comes to save, to rescue, to defend. He's the defense lawyer turning up. Right, and he said, I've got a pardon. <laughs> and you know what? Yes, you've screwed up, but I still love you, and actually, you've got a lot going for you. This is the comfort of my Lord. And I have to say, at times when I've ministry screwed up, there's a few situations I've said words that I really regret, and some people have left the church. And I think, I am the worst Presbyterian minister in the entire country. This is what I say. I go home and just sit there going, surely anyone could be better than me. I am Lord, I am the worst. How does anyone put up with you? This is round and around. It's three o'clock in the morning. I flagellate myself. And think of all the other failures you did, Alistair. Again, I go through the whole list of them, right? And what happens in that space as I'm mourning while the Lord comes in and he says, you know what, Alistair? Yes, you are a bit of a screw up as a Presbyterian minister, but I'm not finished with you yet. And he gives comfort to those who mourn and he comes in my defense. And so this is the comfort. So I have a question to ask. Have you experienced the divine, not human comfort, the divine spiritual comfort of almighty God? It is a powerful and wonderful thing. He only gives it to those who are crushed in spirit, for those who are brokenhearted. For as Jesus says, God blesses those who mourn, for they will be. Comforted.